the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Very good afternoon to you on this, the 14th of March, 2022. Hard to believe that we're halfway through March, which brings us to the end of the very first quarter of 2022. And so much has happened. I remember that very first week in January where we had everything happening in this country, including the burning of Parliament. And we realized this year was going to fly by and so much was going to be happening. It seems like we have COVID on the back foot. Let's hope it stays that way. And let's hope things start returning to some form of normality. Today on the show, we're going to be chatting about an incredible book called Spoiled Ballots. It's a topic that's very close to my heart. And I'm hoping to find out a little bit more about the thinking behind the book and what the authors discovered. Coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to be chatting to Matthew Blackman and Nick Dell all about Spoiled Ballots. Before then, I'd like to remind you that the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of mine or Chai FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on Chai FM. Mandy Wiener writes, With their trademark wit, levity and meticulous research, Nick Dell and Matthew Blackman have told the stories of South Africa's long history at the polls in a compelling and entertaining way, bringing narratives to life through the protagonists, and the juicy science shows. I must say I agree with Mandy. And the last conversation we had with these two great gents was on another book they produced, which was called Rogue's Gallery. Gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you. Stop. Hi, Chad. <laughs> Sorry there. Hi, Chad. How's it, guys? Let's start off with Matthew. Matthew, what what brought about this book? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but after all the research with Rogue's Gallery, I'm sure you saw another story in the making that could link through to the elections. Am I, am I right? Am I partly right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we um, during our research into Rogue's Gallery, we you know came across a lot of um, issues to do with corruption around you know democratic practices, and it did seem like a kind of logical progression. Not that this book is entirely filled with corruption; it's it's not, but um, it did seem like that was an, a sort of a, a progression that we could could make and it's a topic that you know democracy is a topic that's always fascinated me and you know the history of it in south africa is such a an odd and you know peculiar one that that did seem worth doing so nick let's clear up a misunderstanding that a lot of people have corruption is not new to this country we just speak a hell of a lot more about it than previously what did you find in your research regarding corruption yeah, so, so that was our first book, Rogue's Gallery, which basically was written to debunk that very myth. You know, like we were just sick and tired of hearing people at sort of parties and stuff saying, oh, you know, Zuma, you know, like if, if Zuma had lived in any other era, he would have been in jail or like, you know, what the ANC is doing is unprecedented. So, so we start, I mean, we knew that that wasn't true. We, we knew enough about history to know that there's been corruption for for a long time but once we we started researching it we found that corruption has been rife since 1700 in every era there's been like rampant corruption and of the the nine people on the cover of Rhodes gallery the only one to spend even a night in jail on corruption charges is jacob zuma so yeah uh, that that was basically yeah, 
I think we, that kind of debunks that myth. So Matthew is very disappointed that people have this preconceived notion that uh, South Africa has only become corrupt uh, post-1994, or they justify that statement by saying, well, maybe there's a bit of corruption, it just wasn't as bad. You travel around the world and you see that they're establishing organizations to try counter what's been happening. We see Transparency International, we see organizations in Mauritius like ICAC, I love its name, it stands for the Independent Commission Against Corruption, and you've seen countries now taking a greater stand against this. Is this because in the past, politicians could get away with virtually anything? I mean, I think... That's true to a certain degree. Uh, um, you know, certainly modern democratic practices have been established in many ways to, you know, amongst other things, to, to try and stop corruption. And corruption has always been an inherent part of, of politics. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I think we have a, a, s- a sort of slightly rosy tinted view of our own modern status. We s- somehow believe that we're better than all other you know, generations as far as stamping out certain things. And, and you know, I mean, the war in, in Europe now shows just how, you know, we haven't really progressed a great deal as far as, you know, the world is concerned. But we, we like to, th- I think we like to think that we have. But um, I don't, you know, I really don't think we have. So, you know, I, th- I think corruption has, has always been around. It probably always will be around. We might be a bit more aware of it because... There are institutions, you know, both inside and outside government that that, um, focus on it. And maybe before it was simply like, you know, corruption was just accepted as a as a simple process of, of, you know, if there is a politician, there will be corruption. And maybe over the years, certainly, I guess, from the sort of, you know, the mid the mid 19th century, there was a belief that we could somehow stamp that out, maybe like the belief that we could stamp wars out in Europe, and, and but that has not proven to be the case. I'm chatting today to Nicholas Dell and to Matthew Blackman about their incredible book, Spoiled Ballots. It also happens to be launch week for that book. They're going to be chatting throughout the week to, to various journals. I know they're going to be chatting to Nicholas Bauer tonight and to Marion Tham on Thursday. It's an incredible book available at all good bookstores. And when we come back, I want to talk more about corruption in South Africa that is inherent in our current electoral system. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Chatting today to Nick Dell and uh, to Matthew Blackman about their book, Spoiled Ballots. You'll remember we've chatted previously about their incredible book, Rogue Gallery, which brought to life some of the more, I don't want to say colourful, but they are colourful, but notorious figures in our country's history. But right now, there's, there's two issues that we need to really talk about. The one issue Nick raised in a post earlier today on social media where he chatted about one's conscience and it's so difficult given the ANC's history to reconcile with how they are acting towards what is happening in Ukraine. And he actually quotes Oliver Tambo addressing the General Assembly in 1982 where Oliver Tambo said, together we have the ability to defeat those who subvert the United Nations its charter and its decisions. The apartheid regime stands out amongst such subversive forces. We have a joint responsibility to work for its eradication. Wonderful words, but put into practice, we seem to be going backwards. 
Do you think this, Nick, considering this is, this is, this is your post today, do you think that we as a country are perhaps acting from a governmental perspective out of a sense of loyalty to countries that have turned a blind eye to the reality of South Africa's state of corruption? I wonder, um, I hadn't thought of that, the, the corruption specifically. Um, I think there's definitely a sort of um, feeling of, you know, the Soviet Union helped us back in the day and, and we should, should repay the favor. But I, I think that ignores the fact that the Soviet Union was a, a much bigger grouping than just Russia and that many ANC people were studied in Ukraine and, and uh, were trained in Ukraine. And I mean, besides, I mean, the, you know, that all ended 30 years ago. I think we should move on. To me, you know, people like Oliver Tambo were from an extremely moral generation of ANC leaders who I think if they were still around making decisions, they wouldn't have voted the same way that our government has voted. I think there's been a, a collective slide in, in the morals of ANC. That's a feeling I get. So, Matthew, when we look at the way our, our country is structured in respect of general elections, of course, we have local elections. We then have the national elections, which include the provincial elections. It can be a bit confusing for people at times. And the way I understand it as best is local elections, you, you're voting for somebody that is going to be responsible for being your voice at council for the things that count. It's democracy at its truest level. The sewerage is, is running out the pipes. The, the streetlights aren't working. There's potholes. And of course, national, together with provincial, is the decision making. We're putting people in place to legislate on our behalf. But what I've seen in respect of our, our national elections is that we're voting for a list that's predetermined. You'll have, if you look at the ANC, for example, they'll have a, 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 a BGM, a branch general meeting, who will send delegates to a national um, conference and at that conference they'll decide who's going to be on a list at that, that same conference they'll vote like they're going to be doing at the end of this year for the top six within the party things started really going downhill from Polokwane through Mangahung resulting in the last elective conference being Nazrek and you talk about Nazrek in your book do you cover this list issue do you cover the fact that we're voting for people that may have landed up on a list in a corrupt manner we don't address the, the the party list problem specifically, but I think the fact that we we actually stop looking at national elections and start looking at ANC elections, presidential elections for the for the political party that is the ANC, is indicative of the the kind of problems that we face when when dealing with our national election. Our national election. You know, we don't function as a as a kind of proper deliberative democracy, and you know there are many there are many issues around that. But certainly, the party list system is is one of the major issues, and that's been brought up. I mean, Fonsale Slubert did you know an investigation into the issues around that. He he produced a paper, I think it was submitted to Parliament in the early 2000s. It was just, you know, buried and, and never emerged. And I know Rolf Mayer and various other people have been, you know, involved in looking at our democratic system and, you know, coming up with a hybrid 
hybrid version of it, some, something like what happens in New Zealand, um, where there's a, a, a mixed system. I mean, the problem of accountability, of direct accountability, is a major, a major problem in South Africa. You know, we don't really know who our national politicians are, you know, and we don't really see them as representatives of of us, the people, I, I, I think that's, that, that seems to me to be quite clear. On the occasions that I've been to Parliament to, to um, go and check up on things as a journalist, I'm sort of horrified at the kind of seeming dysfunctionality and and the lack of interest that, that politicians seem to take in, in the actual problems. We, we have a very kind of top-down system which isn't, it's, it's clearly not good and clearly not working for us. You know, democracy isn't meant to be about this. It is meant to be representing the people. And I don't think the people have any kind of direct connection to it. And I mean, I think what, one of the things that seems to me symptomatic of that problem is, is you know, the, the opening of parliament or, um, you know, the state of the nation addresses you're uh, living in Cape Town down the road from Parliament. You're essentially cut off from Parliament for those days while aircrafts fly over you and cannons explode and all kinds of things. It doesn't seem to me to be representing the people. It seems to be trying to shoo the people away from from Parliament, you know, most of the time while putting on this peculiar, almost, um, you know, um, Kind of medieval show of marching troops up and down and shooting cannons and i mean that just doesn't seem to me to be a democracy so yeah look i, I do think that we, we have some distinctive problems how are we going to solve them i don't think any anybody has the will or the urge to do it anybody in power it seems to me it's very true um our members of parliament are, are meant to represent their constituents and they meant to represent various areas and groups of individuals and we're seeing with the proportional representation and the list system it kind of defeats the purpose where you're voting on this list system but it's a conversation for another day something else that nick raised in a post earlier today was xenophobia which i want to pick up after the break because i think xenophobia is raising its head it's it's not something that's obviously a topic of the book, but when we see it in politics and especially in the electioneering that led up to our local elections and subsequent to that, what we're experiencing in the media and on social media from different political parties in the last couple of weeks, we are heading down a very slippery slope. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we chat to you about a great new book that's hit the shelves at all good bookstores. It's a book called Spoiled Ballots by the authors of Rogue's Gallery, none other than uh, Matthew Blackman and Nick Dell, who I've got on the line to, with, with me today. And I'm just so happy to see another book that we can actually just get our, our mitts on that, that helps explain. And early in the conversation, they said to me, and, and, and that's where the sigh comes from, by the way, they were frustrated, as I am, in just hearing people constantly going on and on and on about the current state of affairs as if it's brand new to South Africa. And it's not brand new. It's something that's been there for a long time. But before we get back to the book, Nick, you mentioned in your post earlier today that South Africa actually has a long history of xenophobia. And this is, this is of concern to me because I'm reading 
of late a, a resurgence of, of xenophobia. And we can never, ever forget those xenophobic attacks from a few years ago. It was horrendous. Tell us a little bit more about our long history of xenophobia. Yeah, I mean, so Spoiled Ballots is, is a history of elections from the assassination of King Shaka in 1828 until today. And while elections are the core focus, um, xenophobia does actually come into it quite often, as does violence, as does racism. And um, one of the first instances I can think of in the book, just off the top of my head, in 1849, a ship of convicts from uh, the UK bound for, arrived in Cape Town and they were going to offload them here. And the people had, took, really didn't like this idea, the people of Cape Town. So there were huge protests throughout Cape Town saying, don't let the convicts on shore. And eventually the, uh, the ship uh, continued on to, to Australia. So that was perhaps xenophobia and maybe it was a good form. I don't know. Later in the uh, 1920s and 30s, there was um, more overt xenophobia. So the mining industry was, um, as you know, um, facilitated by black labor. But, uh, and, it, and it still is, sadly. Um, cheap black labor. And in the early days, a lot of this black labor came from across East Africa. So Mozambique was a big supplier, but also Malawi, even Tanzania, Zimbabwe. In the 1920s, after Herzog came to power in 1924, obviously Herzog's main thing was um, discriminating against black South Africans. I mean, that was his calling card. But he also, you know, even lower on the, the ladder for Herzog than the black South Africans, was another, a black from another country. And uh, he, he called them alien natives, which is a bit of a, an oxymoron. And basically, he completely put a plug, the mine industry employing foreigners. So it went from like 40 or 50,000 new Mozambican laborers would pitch up in a year to zero. Now, all that did was it just meant that they had to employ more black South Africans, uproot more communities, in, you know, places like the Transkei and the Siskei and the Sutu and um, destroy more families. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a good thing for the Mozambicans either. Uh, if you think of other examples of xenophobia, Lucas Mangope was the president of Bupututswana, the so-called independent homeland of Bupututswana. And he was really harsh on anyone who wasn't of Tswana, who didn't speak Tswana at home. It was supposedly a place for all people to live, but but Swana's got far better treatment. And then, I, what about in the you know the ANC, the Corsa Zulu factionalism? Is that not a form of xenophobia? So yeah, I, I think it's uh, we 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 have a long history of of turning against people who aren't the same as us. Tribalism, eridentism, issues of xenophobia. Sadly, it, it seems to have manifested itself not within just the ruling party, but within politics as a whole in our country. When we come back, I want to chat to Matthew about gerrymandering, especially in the context of the way the Nats moved borders and something we saw the ANC follow suit with. I remember a couple of years ago, they moved to incorporate certain areas just outside of Pretoria into Pretoria to try and maintain control of Trane. And that for me is absolutely fascinating because it's something that's so rife in America, especially amongst the grand old party, that gerrymandering seems to be something that is not going to just go away. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. 
Today we're chatting about the incredible book Spoiled Ballot by Nick Dunn and uh, Matthew Blackman. Matthew, before we went to break, I said I want to talk to you about gerrymandering. And that, that, if I understand correctly, is the changing of borders so as to incorporate a more sympathetic vote for that particular party that's in power at the time that the gerrymandering takes place. Did you uncover any of this during your research, specifically with regards to the Nats and then later the ANC? So, yeah, I mean, you know, where, wherever there's a, a weakness in a, in a political system, the politicians will, will find it and, um, you know, exploit it to their purposes. So, I mean, the, the inherent weakness in, in 1910, the, the union that was set up, was um, the constituency-based system that we inherited from, from Britain. And, and initially... It started with some as a good idea. Yeah, essentially, the idea behind it was that they felt that it would be more democratic to have a um, essentially rural voice, quite similar to the urban voice. So there might be more people living in the cities, but they you, you, the theory was why should the cities just because there are more people in them dominate over the voices of the people who live in the rural areas. Um, so there was always a, a, a slant towards um, the, the constituencies in the rural areas had fewer people in it, but they had similar kinds of representation within within Parliament. So, so they, they you know, that that was a, a, a way of trying to balance the scales essentially, um, and and it was seen to be quite democratic, but. Um, the problem with it as it got inherited into South Africa was that um, they couldn't really decide on what a constituency, what vague number of people should be in each constituency. So they kind of fudged it and they said, well, if it's 15% more or 15% less, that's okay. So th th what, what happened then was essentially there could be constituencies with, say, you know, 600 people voting in it and and another constituency with 2,000 or 3,000 people voting in it. And you would vote, you would each vote in one member of parliament. And that became a kind of disproportionate um, sense. And, and then essentially what you would you would get was the minority ruling the majority. And that certainly was the case. Um, initially, in the first elections in in um, that that summoned in apartheid, they there wasn't apartheid wasn't voted in on a popular vote um, basis. You know, they, I think I can't remember the exact statistics, but I think only about thirty eight percent of the population actually voted for the national party for that nineteen forty eight. I think it's something like that. I stand on correction. So. You know, that, that, that was an inherent weakness in the system. And then, of course, during apartheid, that weakness was exploited. Um, and, you, you know, I mean, essentially, apart, the apartheid government did start winning um, the popular vote eventually. But um, they did do a lot of gerrymandering. And there was it, it ended up in a position that there was no way that you know, a more liberal voice that existed in in the urban areas would ever have any kind of proper representation within Parliament. Um, and yeah, I mean that 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 gap 
just really increased and the apartheid you know regime exploited that that piece of legislation that was initially set up with some kind of idea to you know equaling things out but eventually it ended up being you know just just shifting the balance to to the rural areas in a completely kind of disproportionate manner thank you matthew nick Listening to Trump over the weekend in the States, he's all but said he's standing come 2024 um, on the Republican ticket. It's, it's a bizarre situation. We've seen two people win the popular vote in America that never became president. We saw Hillary Clinton. Prior to that, we saw Al Gore. That type of one man, one vote popular who's ever the most doesn't seem to work there because again there is a form of proportional representation much the same as we're seeing in South Africa so the question that our listeners would most probably have is does the 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 principle the the ideals behind one man one vote actually equate to the post the most popular person or the right person actually being elected to the position yeah, well, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? I, I don't think either system is perfect. Um, uh, just on those figures of Matthew that Matthew was talking about for 48, I just picked up the book, opened it on that page. So Jan Smuts won 49% of the vote. D.F. Malone won 37%, but he became prime minister. I mean, that's a massive gap. So I don't think something like that would happen in our current system where it is, you know, one man, one vote for the president. You know, if if you if you have a clear majority, you'll be the president, and if you don't, you won't. But as to your second question about whether the right person ends up getting the job, I mean, that's just the answer to that is never ending. Because I mean, we actually just this week we wrote a piece on on referendums because South Africa's had a few referendums in our history that have that have changed the course of the country. There was one in 1922, which where we invited or Jan Smuts to try and get extra support ahead of the 24 election, which he ended up losing. Um, he tried to bring Rhodesia into the Union of South Africa um, to get more votes, basically. But the Rhodesians rejected that, and they decided to sort of aim for eventual independence. Then uh, in 1960, we had a big referendum where Favut got us to vote whether or not we wanted to be part of a, a republic or become a republic. And that, he, he scraped that one through. And then, of course, the 1992 referendum where we did eventually end apartheid. That was a big one. And now a referendum seems inherently fair. You know, you ask people a question and you get their answer and then you act on it. The problem with referendums is that they're like, they're a moment in time. You know, an election, if you vote the wrong person in, Four years later, you can vote him out. Whereas a referendum like Brexit, you're stuck with it forever. And uh, it often tends to be that we, we looked into some of the research. People, they vote yes in a referendum if they like the leadership. They vote no if they don't. So it's often not really about what they stand for. And I think that's kind of what our current situation Every general election is kind of like a referendum, and and it's not it's not infallible. Yeah, so it's it's such a tricky one to answer, isn't it? It is. So Matthew, I think a nice way to end the show today will be to discuss what we see 
is going to be happening in our next general election. And, and there's this understanding that the, the laws have been changed to allow individuals to stand for the number one post. It's not going to be very much along the lines as we've seen over the last few years where if you number top of the list on your party and your party happens to take most of the votes, you are going to be the leader of the country. What are your thoughts? Because we're going to have people who are going to throw their hats in the ring who may be moneyed or who may have support. There's, there's talk about Mocheng Mocheng wanting to, to have a go. There's talks about Herman Mashaba either doing it on Action SA or doing it on his own. You could even have somebody like Patrice Motsepe Patrice throw his hats in the ring. Do you think it's going to work? Do you think it's an evolution of South African politics that we're now hearing that we may be able to vote for an individual rather than the party for that number one slot? I'm a little bit kind of disturbed by this idea, mainly because, you, you know, it, it comes off a kind of constitutional court finding and it, it, it's not a proper policy that's been developed and, you know, that, that's come through parliament and has been deliberated over and thought out and, and worked out as a new kind of system. It's a kind of plaster on, on an issue to do with representative politics. I, I think it's probably going to be a bad idea i mean i don't uh, i'd be surprised to see any kind of major shift but i mean you, you you know you look at you know maybe if you look at ukraine maybe we need like one of our comedians to 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 to, to run and and win because zelensky seems to you know um have an amazing job in the last couple of weeks um and um yeah, I mean, you know, maybe that's what we need. We need somebody outside of politics um, who who isn't sort of weighed down by all this, you know, the the kind of um, all the, the the sort of handcuffs and ropes that are attached to to becoming a a politician and you know serving other people's interests and all of these kinds of things that go goes on in politics. Maybe. Maybe it will be a, a good thing. I just worry that it's it's been sort of badly thought out and that it's not going to, you, you know, we need a, a, a real shift in politics and, and, and within sort of democratic practices in this country. And is that this little plaster going to be good for us? I, I, I fear I fear it won't be. But it's difficult to, I, until we see the candidates and and, and see... You know what the what the people will do. It, yeah, uh, it, it's sort of up in the air, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I, I I'm a little bit dubious about the whole the whole idea. Well, Matthew, thank you for that, and I appreciate the the candor. Um, it's very interesting to see what's going to happen, and it's of course going to give a lot of material for both you and Nick to write a another book. Nick, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us today, and. Good luck with the launch this week. Good luck with your conversation with Nicholas Bauer tonight and with Marion Tham on Thursday. Thanks so much for having us, Chad. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much, Chad. Matthew, so much as well. Um, it, it would be great if we had longer to chat, and I'm sure that this is going to be a hectic week for you. So for all the listeners out there, Bought Ballot is available at all good bookstores. And if you do a little bit of Googling, you may be able to catch the launches this week and the conversations with both Nicholas Bauer and Marion Tham, who will be in conversation with my guests today, Matthew Blackman and Nick Dell. Matthew and Nick, thank you for taking time out of a very busy Monday to spend with our listeners on Chai FM. Thank you. Thanks.
Cheers, guys, and thank you so much. Sport Ballads is available in all good bookstores by the authors Matthew Blackman and Nick Dell, who also authored the wonderfully witty and uh, increasingly funny and applicable Rogues Gallery, which just shows you how history continues to repeat itself. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening in, or if you already tuned in, Stay tuned because Chai FM is the home of Real Talk Radio. This is where you hear it direct. It's no hold bars. It's the, it's the real deal. There's no sacred cows. Whether you're listening to me or Kathy or Howard, what you know for sure is what you hear is coming directly unfiltered. Sometimes it may get us into a bit of trouble, but at least you know that it's truthful. We're going to be a little bit more controversial in the coming weeks. We're going to be chatting to some more whistleblowers, chatting to us about what's happening in South Africa um, from a legislation perspective to protect those whistleblowers. But more importantly, we're going to be chatting about some of the stories that may not have broken or may not be in the mainstream media that are, that's impacting on our very lives. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is Chad Thomas. This has been Confidential Brief live on 101.9 High FM.